Welcome to Code Grays, an episode-by-episode recap of Grey's Anatomy. I'm Teresa Rosado. And I'm Megan Totsky. And join us for Season 2, Episode 15, Break On Through. Which I think is a Doors song. <laughs> yeah, I realized I, I didn't assume. look it up. I hope you did. <laughs> I actually didn't either. I just am now like, oh, I probably the Doors, right? It's the Doors. <laughs> Good for you. I didn't know that you knew the Doors catalog so well. <laughs> I have a Doors cassette tape. I don't know why. What do you do with it's it? It's my Miles Davis cassette tape. Oh. Uh, I listen to them back to back. That's weird. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> All right. This episode. So for listeners who are interested in hearing our thoughts on the Women's March, which we both participated in very different locations. <laughs> yeah. You can you can just skip ahead to the end of the episode, maybe around the 45-minute mark or so, and uh, catch up to that. All right. This episode. Break on through. Oh, this season is getting good. I it will is. say This is that kind I of a pivotal that, episode, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that it's... I was looking ahead to what's coming down the pipeline, so I'm V excited. It's going to, oh my God, it's going to get so real so fast. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay, I think it's time for you to do the summary. Okay. I accepted it. Can do that. (laughs) Turning a new leaf. No, I'm not. We are maturing. I know. (laughs) Okay. I think the dog just fell down the stairs. I'm sorry. Sorry. <laughs> I, I really think that we should post a picture of Hank to the Facebook page. Okay, I only have like a thousand of them. <laughs> a shameless. We should post all thousand because it's just shameless promotion. <laughs> On Time Hop yesterday, or, there was like a huge snowstorm that came to DC and it was Hank's first time in a snowbank. Oh, I remember that. Oh my God. I like cried at my desk if we're being honest oh about the situation. Oh my God, it was so cute. Yes, we should post that. <laughs> anyway. All right. <laughs> Are you ready for okay. this summary? Um, sure. Three, Come. two, one, go. Okay, so the nurses go on strike, and George is identifies as a union man and goes on strike with the nurses, sort of. We have Claire Solomon, who has necrotizing fasciitis, and Christina uh, sort of shits the bed on her case by not doing what her patient wants. We have Grace Bickham, who is just trying to die, and Meredith... Kills her, well, keeps her alive, which doesn't want to. Cheyenne, who um, is a young woman who is pregnant, and Izzy reveals that she had a baby who she gave up for adoption. What? That's crazy. Oh, and stop. the chief is the chief. Stop, stop. The chief is the chief. Still the chief. Still the chief is, is the, the chief. update. That's the update. <laughs> <sighs> I am very sweaty when I do the story. <laughs> I'm very sweaty just all the time when we do this recording. I immediately have to take whatever shirt that I was wearing and throw it into the wash because I'm disgusting. I also, like, sometimes take off layers when we're doing this recording as the sweat accumulates. I feel like at some point, probably in the summer, we're going to end up just doing this podcast in the nude. Yeah, that's a real possibility. (laughs) Like, anyone knows us, they know that that's just going to happen. Very real thing. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. All right. Okay. Who shall we we start with? I think we should start out with the strike, right? 
Yeah, yeah. I was really interested. I'm super satisfied because I took all of my notes. I was like thinking about the strike. And I think that we talked a little bit about this last week when they announced the strike that I think both of us were really jazzed that they were taking this on as an issue, particularly after Gray's got so much pushback for being for the way they were talking to and about nurses. Yeah. And so I think it was like a really smart way to sort of just sort of tackle that head on um, within the show, which I think was they did quite well. But I was thinking about George's role with the strike. So George essentially won't cross the picket line um, to go to his to you know go to work because his dad is a truck driver maybe and his or something and his mom is a teacher yeah. and he says you know I'm, I'm a union man and they'll put me on the news and they'll show me crossing the picket line and you know my parents will be so disappointed so he won't do it <clears throat> and the whole time I was like I can't wait to hear what Teresa's thoughts are on George's role in this strike. <laughs> and then I read your notes and I was so satisfied and fulfilled. So without further ado, disappointed. <laughs> I was not disappointed. I said that like, this is exactly the kind of content I signed up for <laughs> it, basically in our friendship. <laughs> so walk us through. Yeah. I, I guess I don't I don't have a ton of thoughts on this. It was definitely like I was typing as the episode was happening. Yeah. And so I didn't leave a lot of room for the show to course correct. Mm. But I found it so frustrating that they couldn't make George an actual advocate for the nurses rather than like this squirmy, sweaty guy who's just indecisive. Right. So in the show, it's like he can't make up his mind and mm. He finally decides he can't cross the picket line and he grabs a sign, but he he does so looking like the most miserable man on the planet, right? Like he looks he looks like Melania Trump standing next to <laughs> Donald, like just like I want the earth to swallow me up. And it's a sign that says, you know, proud to be a nurse or something like that. And I was like, I you know, it would have been really cool and a really cool like character development for George to take the logical next step with him coming from a union family to him being like actively supportive of the nurses rather than feeling obligated to Mm -hmm. stand with the nurses despite his own feelings of humiliation by being identified with or like associated with the nurses. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I don't no, know. I this totally could have been like do. the first interesting thing about George O'Malley. Yeah. Right. And that's what I wondered. I was like, this is either, you know, it's, it, I, I knew it was going to go sort of one of two ways with you. And I, and that's, I think that's actually sort of not so different. And we can get into this in a little while from Izzy's role in this particular episode and in an interaction that she has with some patients where it's like the writers are trying to push these characters toward interesting things or toward sort of like complicated developments in their backgrounds for both Izzy and George. And they, it's a little bit of a swing and a miss with both of them, I think Um, where it's just not quite. And I don't know if it's a sign of the times or if it's, you know, if it would be written different, you know, sometimes we talk about how it would be, these scenes would be written differently today than they were, you know, uh, 10 ish years ago. But I think that that's true for both of them in this, that it's sort of like, okay, like you did one thing, but like you didn't quite acknowledge all of the ramifications of the decisions you made for these characters. Yeah, you were so so close and then pulled away sort of (laughs) inexplicably. Like what would Greys have lost by their main character, you know, readily and enthusiastically identifying with this cause? 
as an activist, nothing. frankly. Yeah, nothing. <laughs> you know, yeah. Right? I like. Yes. I don't know. I so anyway. I I said in my notes that George kind of gets there because he he does a little bit. You know, he's 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 marching with the nurses and he's only going into the hospital to like. It's it's kind of adorable. The nurses want him to go and check on you know, very yeah. specific things about their patients that they right. don't trust temps to know because, you know, that's the thing about these nurses, right? Like at some point, Yang says, you know, I have patients to take care of or something like that. Right. And it's like, it's a reminder that like these nurses are probably more invested in these patients than the doctors who only see them during rounds, right? Or in the operating right. room. And so they're trying to get George to make sure that the temporary nurses have these you know, very specific bits of information. And that's cool. I like I like seeing him in this role. And I guess it wouldn't make sense for his character for him to be really confident and like intentional about his activism. But he yeah. could have been a little bit less uh, like reluctant in his activism, I guess. Yeah, and even his interaction with the chief when he kind of comes in and, and gets caught by the chief and he's even then is still like, you know, trying to be a fly. I don't know. <clears throat> I agree. I think that maybe it is intentional with his character, but it's a little frustrating. And I think that like I recognized at, after I had watched the episode and taken my notes and when I got to the very bottom of your notes, you had made some comment about like feeling more sensitive towards some of the things that happened in this episode in the wake of the women's march. And so I maybe yes. partially feel that way, right? <laughs> that like I'm projecting a little bit on George as somebody who just like partook in a lot of sort of heated activism. And so maybe I'm like a little bit extra sensitive or a little more set on fire by it. But it is yeah. disheartening to watch George once again be sort of. Yeah, <laughs> no, I think that I think that makes so much sense, especially if we look at nursing as still a pretty gendered profession. Of course, we have the example of Tyler in the show, who's yep. also a wonderful nurse. But by and large, right, nursing is still, even in 2017, considered a sort of woman's career, yep. stupidly. And, yes. and so when you have this guy grudgingly agreeing to join this majority women like majority female group of protesters it definitely i think was like it stung perhaps a little bit more than it usually would sure i think especially with some of the there was like that jonathan chait article in the new york times or no it wasn't an article excuse me he had a tweet about like how the women's march needed to be called something else because <laughs> you know what about him jonathan and right. it was like what right. about you motherfucker like yeah i think i i projected some of that onto george yeah. like, he can take it <laughs> it's not the worst thing ever to be associated with women george right exactly just do it exactly just <laughs> do it um should we talk about claire solomon yeah let's let's get into actually let's talk about cheyenne because i think you make a really good point about sort of izzy Oh, yeah. It's like the writing of Izzy, just <clears throat> not yeah. quite getting there. Just like, <laughs> a, and it, it, it's, it doesn't quite, well, okay, so Cheyenne Wood is a young woman, and I think that, I mean, she looks very young, and her, like, oh, yeah. I don't, you know, like, she almost seems like she could be in only, like, ninth grade, um, but, so presumably she's 15, 16, 17 years old, and she's coming in, she's pregnant, and her baby has a, you know, her, has a, um tumor on its neck 
And she's there with her mom, you know, young African-American women. And she, it's, it's essentially she was raised in the same town where Izzy was, which is a trailer park town, pretty rural. And she has to have surgery to remove the tumor from the baby's neck. And then they're going to deliver the baby a bit early. And what's revealed in this scene is that Izzy, you know, Izzy had also had a baby when she was 16, 17 years old. And dun, dun, dun. Right. Right. And I, (laughs) I don't know. I feel like this was so obvious from the first moment that she interacts with Cheyenne that like, even if you, if you, (laughs) even if you like had never seen this show before, she interacts with this young woman and you're like, Oh, she had a baby. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like you could probably only watch that scene and pick up on this. Like, it's just so, I, I think even like the music shifts and like the lighting becomes dramatic and Izzy's like, can you keep a secret? <laughs> and it's like, you can't. <laughs> anyway, so there's this whole thing sort of going back and forth about how, you know, Cheyenne and her mom can't afford this fancy surgery, this sort of prenatal surgery. And, and Addison Shepard comes in and I think that they make her look like probably the most privileged woman in the world. I don't know if quite how they do that, but she just looks it when she walks in she, the room. I would argue that she really has like the facial bone structure for that. That's what I'm saying, right? Like she just, like, you know, like looks... the Gwyneth Paltrow, yes, chiseled face, yes, you know, for for being the face of white privilege. Yes, exactly. <laughs> And so she's explaining the surgery and Cheyenne's mom says, that sounds expensive. And Addison says something like, oh, your local doctor is a former student of mine or something to that effect. And she says, the privilege, the privilege, privilege line of it's taken care of, (laughs) which just makes me want to like throw up on her. Yeah. And she leaves the room and I don't I don't quite know what it is about that line that like bothers. I don't know. There's just a, it's it's totally her tone. I think that it's well delivered. This whole scene I actually really like. And Izzy Addison leaves and Izzy immediately picks up on 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 the situation that that Cheyenne and her mom have have quite a bit of pride and they don't want to be considered a charity case. I don't know. And I think that Izzy and Izzy sort of says, you know, it's not charity. She gets a write off for it. it makes the hospital look good. And, you know, yeah. it, it, it's not charity. And Cheyenne's mom is like, it's not charity, you're sure? And she says, it's not, like, you know, don't lose sleep over it. And she's totally chill about it. And I actually, I don't know, I think that the the later scenes with Cheyenne and Izzy and, and Cheyenne's mom, um, I, I'd love for you to talk us through those a little bit. But that first one doesn't bother me all that much. I think it's actually pretty nicely delivered. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. You know, you noted that she, she's seamlessly you know that she seamlessly identifies this feeling that Addison would never ever think of right like Addison just walked in there totally well-meaning and because of where she comes from would never think that it could be taken a different way and I think you're right that Izzy does a wonderful job of just immediately and just in a no big deal kind of way like nonchalantly saying no like this is just a procedural thing and it's totally fine right um and that is like a really good moment for izzy like a yeah just kind of an understated moment of like acting on behalf of her patient yeah 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 i think that's a good one but i you know i you're right again in your notes and and in my notes as well like the 
Izzy's role in this patient's treatment and choices becomes not toxic because it's not toxic, you know, like Izzy is always well-meaning, but it becomes, (laughs) you know, an issue of just a total disconnect, like a complete, like, lived experience disconnect once she tries to insinuate that she and Cheyenne are the same or very similar because she also was a pregnant teenager at one time. And she gets very, you know, she wants, um, she's advocating something that I think is, is good, right? Like, I, I think that it makes sense. She's advocating that Cheyenne give the child up for adoption. Mm-hmm. Because that is what she did when she was a young a young woman, a, a girl. And I I would tend to agree with that, right? Up until this point, Cheyenne and her mother have been sort of going through the motions with the doctors as though there is only one way, like there's only one option, which is that she's going to have this child and then raise this child and, you know, et cetera. And I, I can appreciate that Izzy is offering an alternative Mm-hmm. But it isn't really her place, for one thing. Not not just because of, like, her her own sort of, like, socioeconomic status as mm-hmm. a white woman in a surgical residency at a highly prestigious <laughs> university. But it's also not her position because she's an intern. She's not even the lead doctor, right? So, like, right. if anyone was going to talk about this with Cheyenne, it would be Addison. And and then going back to the socioeconomic thing, it's like, again, as, as well-meaning as Izzy might be in trying to create a commonality between herself and this girl, like, Izzy is always going to be this blonde, white, statuesque, woman like she's always gonna be this specific thing and Cheyenne is always gonna be not a blonde white woman (laughs) right there's no way around that (laughs) right and even if Cheyenne ends up in a surgical residency she's still not gonna be a blonde white woman in a surgical residency right like she is still gonna have a totally different experience than Isabel Stevens is right and so it's at that point that you get that I shouldn't project that I get frustrated watching Izzy because it's like the writers acknowledge part of her privilege and then want us to forgive other aspects of her privilege and I did like the line from the mother when she says you're not a shrink you're not her mother. She's my kid, and you crossed the line. I'm sorry. No, you're not sorry. You're superior. So what, you're a big shot doctor, and you get to judge us? You get to tell my kid how to live her life? And that's exactly, exactly yeah. right. And Izzy's yes. response is kind of, I mean, you know, how do you respond to that, right? But her response is basically like, yes, yes, but ignoring that... <laughs> You know, what about like everything a white else? lady. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I expect, like, Addison to pop out from the corner. You know? Yeah. Like... Yeah. So, you know, I think it's I think it's a powerful storyline. I think that 
watching it again in 2017, it's even more resonant than yes. it was for me in, you know, 2006 or whatever. I wasn't thinking about these things in 2006, but in 2017. Right. And again, I think within a framework of the Women's March and all of the critique and criticism that went into it, it being centered on on sort of white women's experiences and like white mm-hmm. organizational leadership and white speakers. Like, I think that I was, I was really intrigued by the storyline sort of in the back and forth on, on what privilege is and like what, what allyship is and isn't. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I think it's important. And I think that like, even if not, you know, I think that they maybe tr- tried to try tried to tie a more you know pretty bow on it than it than they should have. Yeah, but I sure. appreciated which, like, I understand it's a TV show, but I did really appreciate how layered it was and how they like really did unapologetically call Izzy out on that uh, yeah. through this mom. And this mom is like not you know it, when Izzy says you know uh, forget all that. Could I and I also be right? The mom even then is sort of like. I don't care, (laughs) you know, like, maybe, (laughs) and I think it is sort of, I don't know. It's just sort of like patronizing in a lot of ways. I don't know. I I agree. I think that it is a really important story to be told. And I think that it is the layers to it resonate more strongly today than they did at least for me as well. 10 years ago. Um, Yeah. And and I don't think that we're actually left with a resolution for Cheyenne, right? Like we don't know what she decides to do. Right. Which is, yeah, I know, sort of and I think importantly, I don't think that we're left with the sense that Izzy is like a white savior, right? right. I, I mean, I yeah. didn't leave it. I agree, with that sense and maybe either. that's why they did that. Yeah, right. Is that like had she decided, had it been a picture of her, you know, handing over her baby right. at the end or something like that, it would have been like oh, Juno yeah, Izzy did this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Which is good. I hadn't thought about that. All right, should we chat about our our wonderful Claire Solomon? <laughs> Leisha Haley. <laughs> oh my God, Leisha Haley! Hi. <laughs> <laughs> so Claire Solomon, who is played by Leisha Haley, I, my first thought, I well, my first thought was, oh my God, it's Leisha Haley, <laughs> and my second thought was, I can't believe that I didn't know this and didn't insist on like either skyping or at least being on the phone with you when you realized that this was Leisha Haley. <laughs> <laughs> I I absolutely forgot that Alicia Haley is ever in this show. And Megan did, in fact, miss out because I freaked out. I had a momentary. I mean, she can see it because my notes are in all caps. <laughs> I, oh, man. It's funny because I, I always remember that Clea Duvall, another queer lady that I love, is in this show. She's in... Um, a later season uh and i always remember that she's in this show playing like a straight woman who's married to this guy but somehow all the times i've seen Grey's anatomy i just forget that fucking alice is in this episode uh, <laughs> anyway. and i will say well so our listeners should know that in our college years and some years before and some years after that <laughs> we Along with many of our friends, watched a lot of The L Word. So much, though. <laughs> and it was really, like, a ripe time for The L Word. Like, now yeah. I recognize that The L Word is, like, probably the most dated show that trash. we Trash. Oh, God, just <laughs> trash. 
But at the time, it was really something special. <laughs> and in fact, that we watched so much L Word that I saw Alicia Haley, and in the opening scene, she's making out with her, you know, this man who plays her husband. And I was like, why is she doing that? Make her stop. Oh, it's terribly uncomfortable. <laughs> it's so weird. I just had really put her in a lesbian box in my head. Yeah. And, oh, one could not escape. <laughs> yeah. My. So our other roommate, our sophomore year of college, was another, (laughs) she was another homo. And and so she loved Leisha Haley, like more than I loved Leisha Haley. She really loved her a lot. (laughs) And and (laughs) Leisha was and could still be in in a band called Uh Uh-Huh-Her. Which is oh, based, I couldn't um, remember what yes, it was. Yes. I knew it was uh-huh. something dumb. Her. Yeah, yeah. And which is, of course, uh, um, a tribute to a PJ Harvey lyric. I guess not, of course. <laughs> it's that. like, okay. General knowledge, new. <laughs> Specifically gay knowledge. <laughs> she and, and, and the, gal, the other gal in the band, they came into town, into the Twin Cities, and our, you know, Kelsey and I were like, fuck yeah, we're doing this. <laughs> <laughs> and we totally went to the uh-huh her concert and we definitely competed over like who got better or more frequent or more meaningful eye, eye contact from Leisha Haley uh we were clearly standing in like the pit we were at the front I got a set list so it was like we were really really about it so seeing Leisha Haley on this episode of Grey's Anatomy as like <laughs> You know, it brought back extra... a lot of feelings. <laughs> you can see why we would be collectively excited. <laughs> uh, and Kelsey has admitted that she doesn't watch the show, but she does listen to the podcast. And I will venture a guess that she's going to go watch this episode just because Leisha Haley is in it with necrotizing fasciitis. 100%. We will report back, listeners. <laughs> yeah, we will. Also, the number of you who listen to our show and don't watch Grey's Anatomy is extremely high, and we really appreciate you. And I think it maybe what, outweighs the people who do yeah, watch Grey's Anatomy. And, like, whatever qualities you're listening to the show for, like, thanks and tell us. Yeah. <laughs> I hope it's for these anecdotes. <laughs> because anytime we get feedback, it's always like, oh, I really liked that time you disciplined the dog. Or like, <laughs> or like, oh, the fart noises were really funny. <laughs> it's like, we rarely get feedback that's like, oh, what an intelligent critique of social media on Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> what an insightful discussion sure of white privilege as through. it relates to a, right. a pregnant black teenager. <laughs> right. Nothing to do with the show. No. So Claire Solomon. <laughs> so the show. <laughs> She's on her honeymoon. She stepped on some oysters, cut her leg, has necrotizing fasciitis. <laughs> and that's the gist. Yeah. And what's going on is that Bailey is on, Dr. Bailey is on maternity leave. Some bed rest before she has a baby. And Dr. Sydney Heron is her replacement so she is the resident the general surgeon surgery resident or or, i don't know she's general anyway she is the resident in charge of our interns and sydney heron is like (laughs) she adapts adopts like (laughs) 
I love her and and I, I it makes me love the show so much because we saw this in a recent episode that like any happy character in this series is written to be just like murderously hated by viewers yes you know like the lady who was the crazy lady in last week's episode who had a brain thing and was happy it's just like you just like gray's viewers just like do not compute that level of happiness and that's how sydney heron is and it's awesome so what's great about sydney heron is that she's like (laughs) her line is that she heals by love (laughs) and so she And so everybody just like fucking hates her, but Alex plays her game and it's wonderful to watch and we'll get into that. But so she's decided that she's going to try and save Leisha Haley. I'm sorry, Claire Solomon's leg, (laughs) despite the fact that she has very aggressive necrotizing fasciitis, which is the flesh eating bacteria. Yeah. Yeah. And so. Didn't that girl on that season of, of America's Next Top Model have the flesh eating bacteria? I don't know. I remember this. It's unimportant. Go on. You should research that. I watch a lot of trash is, I guess, the point. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and and it really bothers Yang that she won't just cut off the leg because Yang, you know, sort of sees this as the sane approach. <laughs> and she's got a point, you know, it's like very aggressive, but it's not... <laughs> Anyway, so she she's she's trying to save the leg. And what happens is that Christina, she, Christina just like cannot compute and cannot handle the situation at all. So what does she do? She goes and and whines to, to Burke about it. And she says, I think our new resident is is trying to kill my patient. And Burke, a little dramatic, way, yang. like. Right, exactly. Rightfully so is like, what are you talking about? She explains the situation and Burke walks into the OR and questions Dr. Sydney Heron in her own OR. And Sydney Heron shuts his shit down. I heard you had a case of necrotizing fasciitis, so we don't see a lot of those around here. <laughs> yeah, well, being a cardiothoracic surgeon, I wouldn't think you saw any. And it is like the I have been waiting arguably for 20 episodes for somebody <laughs> to shut Burke's shit down. And I never expected it to be Sydney Heron, but it is. And she does a great job of it. It's just so wonderful. She's, yeah, it's an exceptional scene. <laughs> it's a great monologue. It's a great monologue. Yeah. She's like punchy with him and then just like shuts it down. Yeah. Yeah, so and then just and Yang is there for the entire for the entire shutdown of Burke, and then she just turns to Yang and is like, "Doctor Yang, are you ready to scrub in? Are you ready to scrub back in?" And it's like, "Yeah, damn, you're cold." <laughs> yes, she. Yeah, yeah, it's so good. And so, a question that I have with this is like, Alex essentially pretends to be super sweet for this entire episode and is like, "Hey, like." essentially sort of decides to to play into her to Sydney Heron's heel with love and basically is like, no, like we're going to try and save the leg. Like, that's what we got to do. Like, I think we can do it. She's young. She's Leisha Haley. <laughs> she needs her leg. <laughs> and it's driving Yang bananas <laughs> because she knows that Alex is a real dick. <laughs> 
And I and she is Yang is so frustrated by Alex doing this, and I just like I do not understand her frustration with it. Right, like why would you not play into your residents' strengths? Yeah, you know, like if your resident is like, hey, we're gonna try and save the leg. Why would you not just get on board with that plan? Right. I mean, you can like. I mean, Yang sort of expresses her concerns, but Sydney shuts them down, and. And give sort of, like, logical reasons for why she's going to try and save the leg. And I just don't understand. Like, Alex learned so much more as an intern, you know, than than Yang did in this episode. Like, medically speaking, he learned a lot. And yeah. I don't really understand why Yang fails to see that. It's so bizarre because Yang is, you're right, she's so salty about this. And it doesn't make any sense yeah. for her as a character. Like, are we are we supposed to believe that Christina Yang has never brown nosed in her life to like curry favor with the superior. That's completely absurd. (laughs) Yes. It's just, it's a, it's a ridiculous position for her to be holding. And I'm totally into Alex pretending that he gives a single shit about Sydney's approach with patience. You know, because, you know, that's he's he wants to learn. He wants to be a good surgeon. He wants to practice. And yeah, that's how it's going to happen. Like, I I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, I just don't understand her. She she just needed to she needed someone to shut her down, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Thank God. It's it's it needed to happen. Both she and Burke needed a talking to. Yeah, they really did. They really did. So. I just wanted to say a quick word about Kaylee or Callie Rocha or Roca. <laughs> I don't know how to say her name clearly. The actress who, who portrays Sydney Heron. <laughs> oh. Okay. So she she becomes like uh, she's kind of a recurring character, but she also plays Halfrek who uh, in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, who's Anya's like best demon friend and they they like come up with elaborate ways to punish men for betraying women, basically. Like, that's their role as demons. <laughs> and I just find this actress totally delightful. If we could get her on the show, I would die. She's just, Ugh. she's pitch perfect in both of these <laughs> both of these roles. <laughs> she's actually really perky as the demon, too. Or not perky, but just, like, <laughs> bright and sunny about, like, you know, murdering Everything. men. <laughs> and, and it just I really appreciate her as as Sydney Heron and and I think she's great. We're we're supposed to find her incredibly annoying and she is, but she's also yeah, but like, wonderful. Uh, but she just crushes it, you know, like it's so satisfying. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. So props to her for what what's going to be a a pretty fun <laughs> A mostly yeah. fun role. <laughs> Whenever she pops up, I get excited because everyone else gets so annoyed. <laughs> All right. Should we chat about Grace Bickham? Is that where we should end? Yeah, I think that's probably right. Okay. So <laughs> Grace Bickham is... I was looking at our first two notes. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> yeah, so Grace Bickham... Poor Grace. She gets kind of caught in this whole nurse's strike and somehow her file is misplaced and she's alone in a room and starts to code and Meredith happens upon her 
and immediately uh, begins, you know, life-saving procedures. So she intubates Grace and stabilizes her. (laughs) And then someone finds her and is like, yeah, she was just, she was trying, like, we left her to die because she signed a a DNR. (laughs) Or, you know, she, she didn't sign a DNR because that's the whole rigmarole, right? About, like, why they have to track down her daughter and shit is they need to confirm that she doesn't want well, life-saving measures taken. So, yeah. so Well, she did sign the DNR, but the problem is, is that Meredith intubated her. Oh, Which means right. that she put her on life support. So they need, the doc- they need the daughter's signature to remove life support. Thank you. So DNR is when you code, you, they don't save right. you. But if you've already... Meredith essentially took extraordinary measures <laughs> and they need the daughter's permission to reverse <laughs> Meredith's extraordinary Right, because this lady's gone, right? There's no one to authorize a second DNR. <laughs> right. Right. So her, you know, her her best friends show up, and it's like, it's, it's just hysterical, I guess. I mean, it's just these women, <laughs> these old women who are like, I can't believe, you intubated Grace? Like... She's and they're and she's like, well, wh- let's just call her husband. And they're like, he died thirty years ago. You know, like they're just well. Good luck trying to reach him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's just like really over the top, yes. but so funny. Yes. Like it just. I'm like di- I'm watching this on the treadmill, and I'm like dying. I'm laughing so hard. And I don't know. You made the point that like. Maybe this comedy is effective for people who watch Golden Girls, right. and neither of us were Golden no. Girls viewers. But there's just something about these three women that just like crack me up. And what I think it is, I think I identified it, and I'm pretty sure that like in the world, I'm Grace, <laughs> right? That like I'm trying to die, and like Teresa and my other two best friends are standing around, like screaming at each other, talking about how I just am trying to die. <laughs> And it's like a sort of like a little bit, you know? yeah. Like I can just see that so clearly in my head that like that's how I'm gonna go. Probably when I'm like 47 instead of you know 97, right? <laughs> it's yeah. But I think that that's what that's what strikes me about the humor. Yeah, it's it's pretty funny. I I was less moved by the humor, and that's when I made my Golden Girls <laughs> point. I was like. Well, I've never seen Golden Girls, so maybe I just don't get it. (laughs) But that said, so, you know, they eventually have to track down Alice's daughter. So Mrs. Bickham's daughter. No, Grace's Grace's daughter, daughter, who's named Alice, which I think is a little callback to Leisha Haley's character in The L Word. (laughs) I bet that's totally true. I see you, writers. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) There was one gay writer on staff who was like, "Mm, I have the best name for this person. (laughs) Right. So they have to. Because the daughter's gay. So they have to track down uh, Grace's daughter, who's a lesbian. And it's just like. The chief is like, well, does she have any children? And one of the women is like, well, she has a daughter. She's a lesbian. And the other one's like, well, I don't think that would get in the way of her signing, would it? Even though she's a lesbian? 
<laughs> the chief's like, uh, what? Uh, 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 no, uh, I. <laughs> So Alice comes in. I think that scene is so funny. <laughs> that scene is hilarious. Yes. I was dying. I will, I will grant that. <laughs> Anytime old people talk about lesbians, it's really funny, though. I like, just can't handle like, it. And they're like these four women who, like, love each other so yes. much. And I just... Oh, it's great. So <clears throat> this this leads to... Alice coming in, she she signs the second DNR. They finally unplug, they unplug Grace, and it's it is it is a really it's the scene is quite moving the death scene because it's all of these women it's only women in the room and it's you know Alice and and her partner and then the the best friends of Grace and they're all you know they're all touching some part of Grace which I found just like Mm -hmm. so moving and comforting you know like they're touching her knee or like you know brushing her forehead or you know squeezing her shoulder like every single one of the women is is touching her and like kind of you know coaxing her to to go on and Meredith is just is just watching and, and getting really emotional because she's thinking about her mother who who of course is mm-hmm. is in long term hospice care, and it's just it's lovely and it it really sat with me for a while. I thought that was a great great scene, and probably one of the yeah, sadder I, I, deaths yeah. on the show. Not you know not because it was tragic, but just because it was so poignant, you know. And so it was it was a very sweet scene. I, I totally agree, and even even so far as that like. When Alice, they're you know they're about to sort of pull the plug, I guess is the word. <laughs> and Alice says, you know, I'm sorry. Did you guys want to say your goodbyes? And they say, or I'm sorry. She says, do did you guys want to get in here? You know, get closer and say goodbye. And they say, no. You, you know, we've we've already said our goodbyes. She knows. We just wanted to be here when they when she crosses over. Yeah. And I just like, oh, it's just such a nice. And I love that it's all, I think that, I think that truthfully what really gets me about the, why I think that like these women are so funny and it's such a beautiful story is that's like all of these women yeah. that are just like caring so strong. I just love this scene and it's Meredith and Meredith sort of owns up to her mistake and says, you know, I was the one who did this. I'll be the one to undo it. And she sort of pulls the plug and, and, and sort of does the deed. Um, and, and it's just this really, I think that I'm really moved by sort of the strong female love in that room that like. I'm a big, I'm a pretty big sucker for that. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I totally agree. I mean, I, yeah, it definitely got to me as well. It's a great, great scene. Should we do our bits? Yeah, I think we can roll on into them. Bit o'clock here. Yeah. So, all right. What's your song of the week? Uh, Break on Through by Aqueduct. I, I like went back and listened to some of it. I don't know. I really liked it. <laughs> so not the Doors song. <laughs> not, the Doors. not that Break on Through. Got it. Got it. Okay. <laughs> oh, I didn't even. Is that what that song is called? <laughs> I didn't even realize. <laughs> I'm so dumb. <laughs> no, you're perfect. 
I don't know if that's what that song's actually called now. I'm feeling self-conscious about it. (laughs) I don't know either. Aqueduct. It's called the suggestion box. (laughs) No, it's... I think that I was... Anyway, it's an aqueduct song. Let's talk about something else. (laughs) Let's talk about something else. (laughs) Okay. I picked... (laughs) Okay. I picked Big Big World by Amelia... Because mm. it's the death scene, and I just thought it was really lovely. It didn't distract from the death scene. It seemed, <laughs> you know, it just, like, faded into the background of death, and that's, like, just, that's what I needed. It's kind of your genre. Yeah, so. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's called The Suggestion Box, yeah. like you said yeah. two and a half minutes ago. <laughs> I've somehow made the situation worse. Let's talk about something else. Death Valley. I think just Grace and possibly me. How soaked through is your t-shirt right now? I, I think that's two for Death Valley. Then if you carry the one and then you add Grace. Yeah, yeah. I think that makes it two. All right. Who, who did you have as your Karev of the week? I actually, you know, I I sort of wondered if I should give it to the chief. We didn't really talk about this. The chief has been going to see Meredith's mother in the nursing home and not telling her. <laughs> it's crazy. And he's been going like, like three or four times a week. Yeah. <laughs> and I think it's a kind of a dick move for him to do that because he works so closely with Meredith and they, you, you know, at this point they, they don't have a super close relationship, but they've definitely... They have, I would say they have, you know, a, a, a relationship here. And, and I think for him to not tell her that is is pretty fucking rude. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I think that like I was tempted to give it to him, but I'd love for you to explain yours a little bit. Yeah. Because I think you have like a, a stronger, a stronger one. Yeah, I, I gave it to Yang because, you know, she... She was totally inappropriate this week with Sydney Heron and also with dragging mm-hmm. Burke into her dispute with Sydney Heron. And she was just so she was a dick about it. And even when it came time to apologize, I mean, she apologized, I guess, <laughs> but pretty poorly. And that's annoying to me. I mean, it's apologies are always hard. I I get that. I, I'm not saying that I'm the world's greatest at admitting I'm wrong, but it was still frustrating to see her being such a dick and then not really dealing with that after the fact when it was proven that she was being a giant dick. So I said, yep. I said Karev. Or no, I said yeah, Yang I, for Karev. Yang for Karev of the week. I think that's right. I mean, I think that what the chief is doing is – is not right, but I think that when it comes to being a real jackass, it's, it's, Christina has a rough episode. Yeah, yeah, she really does. And on that same note, I gave Yang my 007 for the week because yeah. it also it also impacts, you know, it affects how she 
cares for her patient, right? So yes. she's so busy being mad or exasperated with Sydney Heron that she fails to see what what is the best option for this particular patient. And yeah. I think, you know, had she won and she had cut off this young woman's leg, like that would be unforgivable. So I I had to give right. it to Yang for for being a, a just a bad doctor too in addition to being a dick this week no i totally agree i also definitely gave 007 to yang I, I think that she's really obtuse in this episode and her going to burke was was frankly immature and immaturity is something that i just don't like you just can't really tolerate that in talk in surgeons you know especially at this point in her career where she has so much to learn that to be that obtuse and immature is just it serves nobody it doesn't serve sydney it doesn't serve yang and it doesn't serve her patient so and it certainly doesn't serve her resident right all of which are her job at this point in her life you know so yeah yang uh chief resident who do you got i said sydney heron (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) she's so great yeah you know because she she really stands up for her choices in regards to her patient and she does so in a way that makes a lot of sense and that you know as someone who's not a medical professional i was like yeah yeah i i yeah i think this is the better option she's not she's not unrealistic in what could go wrong you know she's like if i finish scraping out this necrotic tissue and it's still spreading then guess what we amputate her leg like you know but i don't have to amputate her leg right now (laughs) yeah yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna have to totally agree with you on that i think that she really her decisions are so sound and they're sound in the face of of like a very aggressive intern and then her superior coming down on her and she really stands by them from, from both angles and, and, you know, like teaches Karev along the way, you know? So in terms of like what it means to be a good resident, I think she really, despite her obnoxious personality, she doesn't, she, she, you know, she's, she's just doesn't let any of that phase her, Yeah, which is really wonderful. Yeah. Knocks out of the park. Yeah. Um, for line of the week, I was thinking I, I had to, so this like scene with, with them being concerned about Alice being a lesbian and whether or not that disqualifies her from signing papers. But I think that, uh, we, we often for line of the week focus on particular monologues. And I think that Sydney Heron's Burke shaming monologue is just like, it's so good. Yeah. I just love it. Dr. Yang wanted to be sure that the perky little bimbo cheerleader wasn't in here trying to kill a patient. Am I right? Now, with all due respect, Dr. Burke, I know you don't know me very well, but I'm pretty good at what I do. And my patient is a 25-year-old marathoner, and I told her husband, I'm going to try and save her leg. So my plan is to stand here for as many hours as it takes to scrape away every last cell of necrotic flesh. Now, when I'm done, if it's still spreading, then we'll take the leg. And if we do, then our eager young intern here can hold the saw. The point is, if you shame Burke in a monologue, you will be rewarded on the Code Grays podcast. Yes. It's true. <laughs> Those are the qualifiers. <laughs> oh, that's so true. All right. What <clears throat> about our medical fact of the week? <laughs> you did the quote unquote so research. For our medical here. fact of the week. <laughs> I did do the quote unquote research. So this is going to be sort of a threefold medical <laughs> fact of the week. <laughs> I obviously wanted to research 
necrotizing fasciitis because it sounds so gross. And so I went to research it and was looking at the CDC article. And you know that something is gross when you Google it and Google images doesn't automatically pop up. You know, like if you Google puppies, pictures of puppies will pop up when you do that. Right. And that's true for most things. Right. Like if you Google a chicken pox, probably pictures of chicken pox pop up right away. <laughs> that doesn't happen when you Google necrotizing fasciitis. <laughs> and so I was reading an article or like the CDC post, of, you know, description of necrotizing fasciitis. And I was reading it and I was like distracted because I still hadn't seen a picture of it. And I knew that that's where I was like inevitably going to go. And so it feels a little bit like when you're like, if you're like, <laughs> If you like search for porn or something that like you should, I don't know, like something inappropriate, you know, where you're like a little nervous to type it in <laughs> and I typed it in and hit enter and it was, it was so terrible. You guys, it was awful. So that's part one. And then I, I like made a sound that I cannot, <laughs> I cannot imitate now because it was so genuine and came from such a place deep in my chest. And then closed my browser window and panicked. So I don't actually cannot tell you anything but necrotizing fasciitis. But so that's the first part is I don't actually know anything about it other than that I've seen very quickly one picture of it. So that's my first piece. The second piece is your listener homework is that everybody has to Google image search one picture of necrotizing fasciitis. So that's our listener homework. And maybe and then record the, third piece, the sound you made. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And send it to us. <laughs> just a little audio clip will be really great. Yeah. Because the third piece is that right now, Teresa is going to Google image search <laughs> necrotizing fasciitis. And we're going to listen to her response. <laughs> okay. And that's going to be our medical fact of the week. Okay. Because we take our jobs really seriously <laughs> okay okay, okay. So do you so have a image search open? okay all right a rare disease especially for the healthy are you on images okay, no, make I'll sure you're on images now because it won't come up if you're I'll not click to images oh god no, i'm worried okay are you nervous yeah, How i'm are you really feeling? nervous i feel really nervous oh <laughs> wow <laughs> wow though this was unnecessary. Isn't <laughs> <laughs> it so gross? Oh. Are you still looking? Yeah. <laughs> the one with the hand. This is the one that's really getting to me. Did you see the one with the face? Yeah. That's not great either. Oh, I didn't want to know what was under my cheek. Oh, that's horrible. What about with the one with the stomach? It's just... What happened there? Uh, I'm done now. Oh, I just saw one with the thumb and it's over now. Nope, I gave up. Wow. <laughs> wow, you know what? I have a really strong stomach and that was actually really fucking disgusting and appalling. <laughs> so... I feel the same way. I have a really high tolerance for gross stuff. <laughs> wow. It's really bad. That was worse than the sports injuries we send each other. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I know. Wow. All right. So, 
I hope you all enjoyed that as much as I did. <laughs> but I would highly recommend going to Google search it so you can, you know, you just have to look for a second. You really get the, it only takes a second. Yeah. To really, I didn't. You don't have to go all the way down to the thumb is what I'm no, saying. No, <laughs> I would quit when you see the hand. Oops. Yeah. That's the one that I. Hmm. <laughs> so everyone has to do it and that's our show <laughs> no we're gonna talk for a few minutes about uh we we both participated as Teresa said in the in the women's march <laughs> do you need another beer <laughs> we're all out <laughs> I'm so sad. yes okay i'm gonna change over to the women's march now i'm gonna really emotionally make okay. that switch <laughs> <laughs> right on over from the phone yeah uh, we both participated in the women's march on saturday in very different places <laughs> so I, I i don't know i think that if we i mean I'd love to just like hear a little bit about what you saw and heard and, and felt. And then, you know, I'll talk a little bit about mine. Yeah. And then we can I, think, call it a day. I think that works because yours is going to way overshadow mine. I, <laughs> I <laughs> drove myself down to Helena, Montana, which is the capital city of Montana, which so few of you knew. <laughs> and... <laughs> And um, Helena is, I, I haven't been there in years, but the organizers of the march had initially expected 1,500 people uh, to show up to this march. The population of Helena is about 77,000. They're expecting about 1,500 people. Then as the Facebook invite kind of spread, they were expecting 5,000. That was the hopeful projection. As it turns out, 10,000 people trekked to Helena from 10,000 people all corners of this sometimes great state of Montana. 10,000 people, including wow, three busfuls of women from the town that I come from, organized by a couple oh of my gosh. a couple of groups up here. I drove down separately, but <clears throat> we Montana has a population, a state population of one million. <laughs> so if 10,000 people attended the march, that means fully 1% of Montana's entire population marched on Saturday, which is That's something amazing. that I could not possibly be prouder of. And I have harassed Vox.com. <laughs> about their graphic <laughs> on women's marches across the country because they have Montana as blank. We don't have a dot. And I call bullshit. I understand that we had less than 50,000 people marching, and that's their cutoff, but I think they're full of shit. 10,000 people marched in an extremely red, conservative state, and I want every single person to know that. So... <laughs> That's amazing. So 1% of the population. 1% of the state population. So I was down there. I met up with a couple That's of my amazing. friends. It ended up being, it started, you know, it was charmed from the very beginning. We encountered some uh, uh, some folks who were involved in PFLAG, 
from Butte, Montana, of all places. And they were handing out pride flags. And my friends and I, who were also gay, lost all sense of dignity and just made a beeline for the pride. Like, we literally saw the rainbows, shrieked, and then just, like, ran to them. (laughs) Ran for them. Yeah, just the (laughs) gayest, most embarrassing shit ever. And then just grabbed a bunch of pride flags and waved them around like lunatics. There were so many rainbow flags. It was, my friend said she thought it was a bigger pride march than the actual pride march. And I said probably <laughs> people felt safer um, at this march than they yeah. would at your at your typical pride march. And um, sure. saw so many Black Lives Matter signs, which I was really impressed by. As you might imagine, Montana's not a particularly diverse state. So I was so happy to see mm-hmm. Montanans thinking outside of their own lived experiences. A lot of signs for trans rights and trans equality. A lot of signs regarding mm-hmm. climate change. I know that there are, there have been and are concerns and critiques regarding the whiteness of the Women's March and um, yeah. a, a real push towards intersectional feminism, intersectional feminist representation. And speaking just for the Helena March, I was really impressed by the... Um, the attention paid to Native communities in our state. Um, Mm. The speeches began with, you know, first of all, we need to acknowledge that we're standing on, on Native grounds, which I, which I thought was a really powerful way to open the, the rally portion of the day. Yeah. And, you know, that's the kind of, that's not to say that other, you know, that Latino and, and black community communities of color don't matter to, or shouldn't matter to Montanans, no. but but that is you know of course the the diversity um, and the kind of racial and ethnic issue that we're dealing with most frequently in Montana would be around Native rights, and so I was really happy to see the representation there. A couple of Native speakers, a Native performer who was incredible. Our senator, John Tester, shout out to him. He called in from D.C. They literally just held him up to the awesome. loudspeaker. And, and, uh, yeah. and he, was, he was really, he was quite direct and in, his, in his remarks and in his support, which was awesome. So all in all, it was, it was great. I, I felt amazing. I was so happy that I decided to drive down. And I felt incredibly humbled by the number of people who turned out because I think that I can often really categorize Montana according to like my worst impulses about the state that I currently live in Mm. and and I felt really humbled on Saturday happily happily humbled on Saturday by the people I saw and um, the kinds of causes and communities they were they were out to protect and to champion. So thanks thanks to everyone who organized the Helena March and to everyone who drove down and and uh, yeah, it's, it's been hard. It's been hard. I actually think back that... into the real world from that experience. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and and particularly, I think it, similar to what you were just saying, right? Is like 
especially coming back into your world, right? Where you're yeah. exposed to a different kind of Montana than you're typically, than you see, uh, I mean, even on your best days, you know? And so Yeah, I live of, in a really to conservative sort of come town back down. in Montana. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that it's very challenging, you know, I, I think that coming off of that kind of the activist high is is hard no matter what. But I think particularly for, for you where you live somewhere so polarizing and to have it be so unexpected. Um, I actually really love hearing, I'm, you know, happy to talk a little bit about what, what I saw here in, in DC. Um, but I actually think that, that that's a more powerful story of the <laughs> March myself. I don't know. Like, I think that like being in DC w- w- was absolutely one of the coolest things I've ever been a part of, but, um, I don't know. I, I, I don't want to say that that experience sounds more, more sort of genuine, but, but knowing, <laughs> having driven across Montana of couple of times in my life like the understanding what it means to get to somewhere you know that I'm just imagining women coming from all four corners of like in winter yeah desert of like the winter desert of eastern Montana like I just yeah I I just can't imagine I don't know I just think that that makes it particularly powerful um in terms of so thank you for for sharing i think that that it like almost gives me goosebumps all over again to hear that uh <laughs> i i was here in washington dc uh and i went to the march and i think that anybody that i know in who was in the district on saturday with the exception of maybe a small handful of people were at the march um so it, it, i mean it's it's the the magnitude of people, I don't need to waste time talking about the magnitude of people that were there. I think that looking at the photos of the district that day, do it justice, <laughs> right? Like it was just, it was just so many people. And they were expecting, you know, first it was 10,000, then 50,000, and then, you know, up to 200,000 is sort of what they were expecting. And that number was a joke compared to to, to who turned out. And, Which was a story was, across the country, right? Which is crazy. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like it was just essentially a bigger version of what you saw in Montana, right? That it was just the numbers were essentially quadruple what they expected. And it was, it, I, it's like hard to sort of, I feel like it's like when you probably what it feels like to sort of like seeing the ocean for the first time or the Great Lakes. And you're just like, wow, like, <laughs> I don't really even know how to explain how it feels to like stand in front of something so big or to stand in something so big. It was it was really incredible. You know, uh, I, I just went with my husband, with Jacob, and it was just the two of us, which is sort of like a funny thing, because I like have I, I don't think he's ever been to a protest before. And and I have. And, it, you know, typically it's you go with your girlfriend. So it was it was a really cool thing for the two of us to go together, particularly because yeah. he's like, you know, a white straight male. And yeah. yeah, and it was actually ended up being kind of nice because there were so many people that you couldn't really move anywhere. Like you couldn't, if you had four people, like you would probably get separated uh, because everything was so crowded. Um, it was wonderful. You know, it like never felt unsafe. And I know that there's been a lot of critiques, like you were saying about like, yeah, of course it didn't feel unsafe. They were all white women. Um, <laughs> Bunch of white ladies. And it would be yeah. different. <laughs> right, exactly. And, and, you know, I will say that I was, it was predominantly white women but there was representation from from people of different backgrounds and and intersectionality again at the dc march was a huge you know 
not just the signs, but the speakers and talking about the different kinds of feminism and, and, or not the, the different kinds of intersectionality insofar that like, if feminism does not include those intersections, then it's not feminism at all. Uh, and so I know that there has been critiques of that, but in my experience, I thought that it, it, it wasn't just celebrating white lady feminism, um, but it was, it was yeah. really quite an inclusive uh, program. And there were so many speakers from so many different kinds of backgrounds, so much that like, it was actually quite cold and, and people were, <laughs> they were just like, <laughs> tell me about it. <laughs> right. I mean, it was nowhere near as cold as Montana, I'm sure, but, but people were just like, or Alaska chanting, where you know, people marched in 11 degrees. I know. In Antarctica, did you see the women on the icebreaker? Yes. God, yes. I just. Anyway, so, yeah, I'm I mean, sorry, I, I, that's crazy. Again, I just, <laughs> yeah, I think that I, it was so, I, somebody, actually, Kelsey had texted me and said, you know, are you there? Like, it looks like so many people, like, I can't believe you're there. She said, can you even breathe? And I was like, oh, girl, I feel like I can breathe for the first time since November. Like, I just feel so, I just felt so good. And, and, and being the one interesting thing about being in DC for this is that, um, I know there's parts of the country where this is par for the course, but in DC, you know, 96% of people, uh, Trump got less than 4% of the vote here. And so on Friday, on Thursday and Friday, you would stand on the Metro platform and it would just be people in red hats you know, like in their stupid make America great again hats. And it's like all of these Trump supporters who just stick out like sore thumbs in DC because nobody, the numbers are just purely just so low in DC that you just don't, you yeah. just don't ever see that. It's always, you just don't like, it's just, it's a, it's a huge bubble. And so for two days, all we saw were these red hats over and over and over again. And it was just like, everybody was just sort of trying to like, swallow their pride and they'll all be gone and you know they're not going to be here or whatever and then to be just like so <laughs> many more fucking pink hats the next day and it was just like it was so cool to see that you know it was such a wonderful antidote to the to the previous two days and it just felt like it felt so wonderful to host that you know I, and like I've lived in this city for a few years now and I feel like more and more every day that it feels more like home. And I just felt so like, you're just welcome here any damn time. Like you all are just so wonderful and so respectful. And so, I don't know, like there was just a, a true sort of sense of respect for, for each other that I, I felt like really, really um, blessed is almost the word I want to use, but that's not quite it. But like really lucky to have all of these people sort of in my, in, in the city that I call home especially after two days of, of hosting people that just deeply did not, were not representative of the people that we have here. It felt truly representative of, of the population that we have here, uh, which was, which is really cool, I think. So it was absolutely incredible. I think that I had like a little bit of like a, a drop <laughs> yesterday, <laughs> like an emotional oh, yeah. drop, you know, after, after such a, a wonderful high. Oh yes. Uh, but it was, it it was really incredible to be a part of something like that. All right. Well, I think that's our show. Um, if you want to share your experiences at the Women's March, um, please, you know, please do. If you want to direct us to like photos you took or something, I would be so happy to like relive the Women's March through 
your eyes. Um, yes, please. Similarly, though, you know, if you if you didn't march and and have critiques of the march that you want to share, mm-hmm. I'd be so happy. We'd both, I think, be yes. so happy oh, to, absolutely. to read those and, and engage. So, um, so anyway, we will see you again for the next episode. But for now, please subscribe to our show on iTunes and tell your friends to do the same thing and give us five stars because life is hard right now post-March and <laughs> that would be the kind thing to do. Uh, you can also listen to us on Podbean our wonderful host you can find us on Acast on Stitcher and you can reach out to us codegrays at gmail.com find us on Tumblr code-grays.tumblr.com and you can also find us on Twitter at code underscore grays underscore